0: Welcome back to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast, where we share experiences on the field and educate others through landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more with photographers from around the world.
1: And today we have Spencer Wood on the show. He's a cityscape and landscape photographer from Columbus, Ohio. So, welcome, Spencer. Uh, we've never actually had a cityscape photographer on the show. Uh, so, why don't you just go ahead and start off with uh, what stories do you intend to tell with your urban landscape images that you capture?
2: All right, then. Thank you very much for uh, having me on today. Really appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, I guess for me is just, you know, I'm a big outdoors person in general. So anytime I can get the opportunity to be outdoors and everything is fantastic. So whether it's landscape photography or cityscape or urban photography, it's it's all different perspectives. And it's pretty amazing for me. Now, for me personally, um, I most like the urban scape or cityscape stuff at night because the colors tend to pop more. Uh, where you get the nature for you know nature colors during the day, uh, but at night the city kind of comes alive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, is there any like any particular subjects that you search out for like in that kind of light? Um, so for me, it's usually
2: whether it's sunsets, sunrises, which are you know kind of typical type of landscape photographer stuff. But just you know, capturing those little nuances that you'll see behind the scenes sometimes. Uh, or you know that building that you drive by every single day and you never really pay attention to it. Uh, and trying to capture some of those things. Um, like you know, some of my photography you know, here in Central Ohio is a couple small little towns. Uh, and just be able to go down there and exploring those downtown opportunities to kind of capture a new perspective. Um, cause you know, at the end of the day, when you get the opportunity to walk around at night or, you know, in the middle, middle of the day, if you kind of keep your eyes out and look around, you'll be amazed what you see.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. yeah it's, for sure. It's, definitely like one of those things I think it's important for a photographer to use like multiple, like focal lengths and different like compositions and, you know, perspectives really that gets different kinds of images. Yeah, yeah and for so me, you... sorry, go ahead.
0: oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to ask, um, you said you're in central Ohio. So are you in a big city, or do you are, do you, are you just kind of focus on those smaller cities that you mentioned?
2: Uh, so I live um, just outside of Columbus. Um, so whether I you will know, we'll go downtown in Columbus or in some small towns around Columbus, that's typically where I do most of my stuff. I mean, this is a hobby for me, so you know, I have a full-time day job. So it kind of limits my ability to get out as much as I might particularly like. you got to pay the bills and everything. But, um, but you know, and I try to, you know, try to just get out and around and see what, you know, and, and also see some of the parks that we have. And, you know, you think of a lot of parks, you think of like the, the big Hocking Hill parks and uh, mm-hmm. um, slate runs and things like that around here in central Ohio. But there's a lot of really small, almost micro parks, um, either in cities or you know, like really offside the road in the country where you might see some, you know, very unique images and just a very unique opportunity to kind of. Explore the surroundings, and it might be less than an acre, but they can be pretty amazing sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, what, what are some of your like favorite parks around that area that like you may recommend to people? Because you know, Columbus being a big city, you know, the capital of Ohio, it's like a lot of people travel there. Is there any like any particular ones that you recommend?
2: So um, I would say, huge fan of Walnut Woods, which you've probably heard about uh, here. It's just uh, over in Groveport. Uh, where you have the Tall Pines area. So that's a pretty amazing park. The Scioto Mile uh, around downtown Columbus. So it's actually snakes around the Scioto River right through the middle of downtown Columbus. It's pretty amazing. And then also Rock Mill, um, which is down in toward Lancaster. It's about two or three miles north of Rock Mill Brewery. And it's an old Gerst Mill, but basically it would grind wheat and stuff like that. And it has a huge water mill. Uh, And that's a pretty amazing place as well. And I would highly recommend visiting that. Unfortunately, right now, uh, the facility is actually closed because of water erosion, kind of eroding away some of the sandstone underneath the foundation. So they closed the actual park right now, but hopefully later on this summer, it'll open up. Uh, And in the summer, three or four times a year, they'll kind of open up the inside of the mill. So families and people can go and see how the mill used to work.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. How like parks can incorporate the local history and stuff from the past. I think it's really neat. You know, just coupling that with nature, of course, too. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I would say, and also, if you haven't been to or your listeners haven't been to Slate Run, they have a uh, historical farm down here, just south of uh, Canal Winchester, and and it has a slate. It's a historical farm from the mid eighteen hundreds. So you'll see draft horses and, you know, literally farming as if it was done back in the 1800s. <laughs> wow. It's a really great opportunity.
1: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I've only been to, I think, in the I'm from Dayton, by the way, but um, in the Columbus area, I've been to like Battelle Darby, like cycling through, and it was quite stunning to be up on those hilltops, just like right over the woodland and everything.
2: Yeah, we're actually really lucky here in central Ohio with the number of Metro parks that we have, and a lot of people don't realize that Metro parks will actually go all the way down uh, to Hocking County, which is where um, Hocking Hills State Park is at, but just adjacent to that, there'll be some Metro parks down there, some Metro parks in Pickaway County, Franklin County, a little bit of Delaware. It's actually a pretty nice, uh, pretty amazing park system. We're, like I said, very lucky to have it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Have you been to the Audubon Center that's like just outside of Columbus? Yeah, good... that is
2: that yeah. is a great place.
1: Yeah, yeah, some good boardwalk and stuff out there. That, that's a beautiful place. Yeah, and the nature center it really is is. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, do you have any? Do you focus mainly on Columbus in terms of like photographing cityscapes, or do you have like other cities that you may capture there too?
2: Um, I would say Columbus, uh, Canal Winchester, um, kind of those get, canals. one of those smaller towns, but those are probably my two major focuses. More just because of location. Um, and the fact that this is a hobby and not a full-time, full-time job for me.
1: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's cool because you get to like capture them in sunrise and sunset and different light and, you know, get to go back to different compositions and try them again and just see how they all interact too. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And probably one of my favorite compositions now is really kind of getting down incredibly low. Uh, and you know, whether it's, you know, like, you know, Photographing you know, a set up train tracks, literally at the base of the train tracks. Um, or there was one that I did, it was actually last year, um, where, you know, all those toadstools that you'll see when mushrooms grow up in your yard uh, in the early spring, I was actually able to take one, and it was just with my iPhone, of all things, and just shoot straight up, right up into the sky, uh, and kind of solve the top, the bottom of the mushroom from below. So kind of giving those wow. unique perspectives.
0: I was just going to ask for for some of the beginners in the audience, Spencer. Uh, you want to explain real quick, like kind of the effect that produces by getting low with your subject.
2: So for me, it's you know just looking at something through a completely different angle uh, and a different perspective. So when you, when you're getting low, it completely changes the composition. So and I know I uploaded some of the pictures, which I think you guys will be sharing here. But you know the one of the toadstool and looking straight up. You know it kind of has the sky in of focus, but what I was trying to do with that composition was literally to get the details of under that mushroom toadstool and the little veins and the little, little fine details and that thing, but also kind of showing the perspective of you're looking up you're tall because this thing is standing incredibly tall. Um, and then there's another one with the train tracks at the sunset where, you know, it's down on the track and it's kind of like taking you out into the horizon because I think sometimes when you get down low, it changes that perspective and in that composition of those rails going literally into the sunset, and if you're you are standing at five foot six foot, um, it just it's a totally different look and feel. So I would recommend anyone just get down low, try it. If it. Doesn't work out? That's fine. Try it again later, and, and find that right composition where that's really going to kind of help uh, help things pop.
0: I think it's you know getting low is something that kind of different, like you said, differentiates it from the normal perspective. Uh, you know the common uh, just everyday you know maybe walk her around through the city or whatnot so are there any other techniques like that you'll use to kind of make your images like stand out like from a, just a maybe an iPhone image or just a normal perspective
2: well I would say you know not only looking from down you know getting down low and looking up but also kind of the opposite getting from above and looking down so whether it's you know using a, a drone to do that but you know sometimes it can literally just be a simple something as simple as standing on a park bench and shooting straight down or standing on a picnic table and kind of getting that different perspective. More than also using some of those, you know, foreground elements and kind of bring them more into focus and make them more of the highlight of the composition. Um, Have you guys been to, uh, you know, I think it's Town Street Bridge in downtown Columbus, and you have those large uh, metal gears that kind of overlook the bridge. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I've seen one of those. Yeah,
0: yeah, I've, I've visited there. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, it is amazing. But you know, like one of my compositions, doing something a little bit different, was actually stand right behind him, because you know he's looking. He's kind of like I kind of call him the guardian of Columbus, and he's looking down the land, down the riverscape. But actually standing behind him and kind of getting his perspective, where he's taken up probably a quarter of the
1: frame. Mm-hmm. Do you shoot that with like wide-angle lens to accentuate that since it's in the, like I guess the foreground in this case?
2: So that one, it, my go-to lens is um, a 17 to 75 that I have, and I'm sorry, 17 to 50. My apologies, um, and
1: that's my go-to lens, and I think that one was actually shot at 17, hmm.
2: just to try to get that wider angle.
1: Yeah, it definitely works because you're, of course, incorporating the landscape behind it, which is the city too. So it kind of shows yeah. where the subjects, in this case, the deer, is the, you know looking out towards.
2: Yeah, and I think it's really important, you know, and again, we all get in ruts and things like that. Is, is to try something different. So you know, I grew up on a farm. I like spending as much time outside as humanly possible. So you know, my you know my happy place is in a park, uh, out in nature somewhere. But shooting something like you know cityscapes is you know it's a completely different perspective, and it kind of helps hone your craft. Um, because you know, I wouldn't have seen other compositions in nature if i wasn't trying to find those type of compositions in the city Uh, probably really good one and you know my wife actually gets credit for the composition on this one is of a little fern with the kind of sun rays kind of shooting it and that was again really down low i was probably four or five inches off the ground with that particular shot and it wasn't really you know wasn't anything crazy i think it was actually with an iphone Again, it seems like, you know, the best camera you have is the camera
1: you have in your pocket. Mm. Yeah, the old adage ring's true. Yeah. Do you shoot those with a tripod, or do you do, like, a handheld for
2: those? Um, sometimes they're handheld, sometimes they're tripod. Um, like the toadstool, there was no way you can get a tripod or any of that thing. That things way too low. Right. Um, train tracks, things like that, yeah, I'll take a tripod and kind of spread out the legs or use one of those, you know, almost
1: micro-tripods Netman Manfrotto makes
2: using one of those.
1: Right, that makes sense. Or yeah, I even recommend people get like a tripod, at least one without a center column, just for this reason. You can get down super low, but still be stabilized too. So,
2: yeah, and I've also seen people basically use sandbags too. You know, if you're going to have that that tripod, we're going to use your car window kind of that that tripod mount to kind of help stabilize the shot. You know, I've seen guys use sandbags to do that too.
1: Right. Yeah. I've used that for shooting like wildlife outside my car. <laughs> so it exactly. pretty well. Yeah. But that's, that's sort of an important thing I think to consider, especially for people that are starting out, because it's like, you it don't, it doesn't really require any gear to do it. You know, you just really have to think outside the box and be like, like you said, stay on a park bench or getting down super low on the ground. And like your photographs just change dramatically and you know, for the better really too.
2: Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you edit your photos at all, or is it kind of straight out of the camera?
2: Um, So I would say a lot of my photos are edited, do a little bit of color grading, uh, obviously adjusting the crop and things like that as well. Uh, but no, they're all, I would say that for the most part, they're all edited into one form or another. Mm-hmm. And I so typically do a little, your... bit of co- little bit of color grading is really what I do.
0: Oh, cool. So are, with color grading, I'm kind of kind of a noob to the like, color stuff. So are you like and is that white balance or are you like individually selecting colors or what's what's kind of your process there
2: um so my process is what i would typically do is i'll pull it into Lightroom, room that's kind of where my photo catalog sits um ironically usually one of the first things i do is that i will go over and edit in photoshop um, so i'll do most of my edits over in photoshop um you know, where there's adjusting the highlights and the shadows trying to you know Pull out those shadows a little bit, tone down those highlights a little while as well. Um, and then I'll, I'll adjust the colors and play with the colors. I might apply a preset. Um, there's some pretty good presets out there. Um, if, you ha- if you don't know uh, Matt Kirby, uh, he offers some really fantastic presets. I actually use a couple of his, so kind of like my, my go-to presets. And then that kind of is my starting point, where then I'll adjust everything to taste, depending on the composition and depending on the photograph. So, you know, like if it's going to be something where I want to really bring out the oranges or the reds, I'll, you know, adjust the hue or saturation of the colors a little bit to kind of adjust that. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to push it so far where it starts becoming looking unrealistic.
1: You're like, no, that
2: was not how it looked
1: originally. Yeah, I think it's important that you know, keep it, at least in this case, like a realistic rendition of the scene and not so, I mean, maybe not artistic in like a fantastical way. You know, you want to keep the scene being as how you saw it and what it is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matt Kirby, uh, actually, that's a good segue, because uh, I believe you and I met Spencer uh, from the group that he created. called the F5 Collab. Uh, would you be able to tell everyone what that is?
2: Yeah, so what it is, is a group of, you know, kind of that you're, on it for a while as well, Ryan. It's a group of basically five photographers, um, and now we're all spread around the US. So there's a member who lives in DC, a couple of us who live in central Ohio, another one who moved out to Colorado. We basically, at the end of the day, we will collaborate on a individual edit. Every one of us has a week that we submit photos for, and then we'll dialogue online with each other. We basically have this large group chat that we're talking back and forth. We'll kind of talk about techniques, crops, and what we're going to do with the picture. And then each of us will take a creative approach to that picture. Um, and pretty much whatever we post goes. So, you know, whether we want to take a whimsical approach where we'll put a, a Yeti on a street sign somewhere or a Yeti kind of walked behind a sign or eyeballs in a rock formation or, or something that's going to be a little bit more serious. You know, so, And the whole group, you know, for me, it's been a... Great practice for me to really hone my experience and my skills when it comes to editing. As you know, I'm not working on the composition then. When you only thing I'm looking at is the, you know, we get the raw image and then we are all editing it. And it's really helped improve my editing
1: skill set.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: It, it's it's interesting though because I've never heard of something like this really like occurring, especially on social media. Like I'm not sure if Matt, you know, it's his original idea, but it's it's honestly I remember. I think I was in the group for about two months or so, you know, from the inception of it to just a couple months in, I basically dropped out. But it was really cool, and it really, I agree with you, Spencer. It's like, it really helps, like, make me think outside the box and be more creative with, like, post-processing. Um, I don't think I ever tried masking until I joined that group. And I did, like, this double exposure image uh, with the, the raw file that someone else supplied and then one of my own images. And it was, like, something else in, like, grassy, I think it was, like, a woodland scene. And then I did this, I was actually at Mill, actually, um, here in my town. And I basically just superimpose them together, and it had this like almost like abandoned growth kind of like look to it. It was really neat. So yeah, that's a really fun group to you know just try to crave things with. Yeah, and you know, and since we're all
2: spread across the U.S. now, we get opportunities to edit pictures that are different than we would have in our own hometowns. So you know, we got you know a guy who lives in D.C. and he's, we get a lot of D.C. and cityscapes, um, and then another gentleman who's you know out in Denver.
1: And, you know, it's out in God's country. Yeah, you're just capturing different subjects that way, too. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. So I'd recommend people maybe start up their own groups and see where it takes them because it's fun. It's just fun to edit people's photos and see what you all kind of come up with, too.
2: Yeah, and I do know that Matt's always uh, looking for guest members to kind of join occasionally. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's yeah. uh, interested, definitely hit up uh, Matt Kirby and he can, uh, we'll get you into the rotation somehow.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll leave yeah, awesome. uh, maybe some links That's down green. below for it. Yeah, I think that that's super cool,
0: Spencer. It's a it's a super unique idea. Um, this is kind of a random question here. What is the what's kind of the weirdest edit you've come up with in that group? I know you mentioned the Yeti. Maybe it's that or anything else. What's kind of the weirdest edit you've been able to experiment with with that club
2: Probably for me, it has been things like the Yeti. So the Yeti was a little bit unique in difference, and. Different. Um, and a ironically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It was it was a fun one, and also some sky replacement, which is something ironically I just haven't done that much of because you know, I'm not a huge fan of sky replacement. Because sometimes you go, yeah, really, no, that mm-hmm. wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, by you know, kind of doing this and being more purposeful, like, okay, I do want to do a sky replacement because that particular sky is you know a little a little flat. Uh, it's helped improve again my. Editing skills because now I can, you know, help match the foreground to the sky replacement background without superimposing in.
1: Yeah, and it's like, if someone supplies like a really, let's say, well, I mean, most raw files by nature are pretty bland at first, but in terms of like color, but like, if you do have like a blank gray sky and like you want to give yourself the challenge, you could be like, I'm going to replace that sky to look like a beautiful sunset or whatever. And, uh, yeah, just challenges yourself in that way too. Yeah, and there
2: was one that I, and it was actually my photo that I submitted uh, of one of the train stations um, in Canal Winchester, and we actually, you know, again, we all did something different, and I was actually able to pull that into Photoshop and do, uh, basically make it look like an old vintage photograph. By plants in different layers, some masking, dodging and burning, and able to actually I mean, it looks like a old photograph of tears and rips and and dirt and things like that on. And that was, that was a fun edit.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's like on the inverse of doing realistic edits of like your own photography. It's kind of fun every now and then to do this stuff. That's more like the Yeti or something just like out there and wild, but you know, it's just fun, you know, that's, that's how it should be at the end of the day. Yeah. So Spencer, you, uh, I know you said you don't do photography full time per se, but you do have some stock photography and print sales available on your website. Uh, What's what's been your experiences with those? Oh, I would say, They've been kind of okay. Nothing really fantastic
2: or anything. But again, you know, this is a hobby for me, so I put it out there just more as to try different things out. Um, I think right now, stock photography and image sales are so saturated that you know, because when you can go to IKEA and get something for two dollars and ninety-five cents, or go to Canva or iStock or something like that and get some stuff, but you know, it's it's not quite the opportunities that it used to be, unfortunately. Uh, but I'll say, probably investment, my, my best success has been with stock photos. Um, so up on Adobe, uh, for the most part, and ironically, Canva. We've I've actually had a pretty good success on Canva as well. And for the most part, you know, it's enough to buy a cup of coffee. You know, we're not talking about anything. Well, Starbucks coffee, but you know, nothing really crazy or anything. But I right. actually had you know some decent success there, and you know, you're kind of like, okay, I wonder who bought that image. You know, that's probably the biggest thing on stock photography. You're like, hmm, I wonder where I'm going to see that image at, or wonder who bought that image. Do you ever get? Which yeah. unfortunately, you don't see that. Hmm. At least I haven't. Do you ever get contacted by those people like, by the images? Like that? no, oh. no, it just you know shows up in your dashboard and Adobe Stock or Canva. oh, someone used your image.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I I understand that. It's like I have some like artist cooperatives I'm in in my area. It's like sometimes if I'm not sitting in the shop or the gallery. You know, people buy my work, of course, and it's like, I'm wondering, like, where are they from, you know? Where are they putting it, stuff like that, to, like, follow up. It'd be kind of interesting to, you know, hear about those things.
2: Yeah, and the great thing about, you know, the one positive about stock photography is when I mean, you upload it up there. I mean, you just kind of just, it sits there. And every couple months, I'll go up and I'll look and see, okay, I wonder how the sales are. I'm like, wow, okay, I sold, uh, you know, five or six images on Adobe or all three or four sales on Canva. I mean, again, it's nothing nothing crazy, and I think if I put more effort into it, it would be a bigger success.
1: Yeah. It, but it's still, congrats on the success, you know, for what it is, because it's, like you said, it's very saturated, and it's like anyone can, I don't want to say anyone can do it, but it's pretty simple, I'd say, that just, you know, upload, you can dump your old catalog onto several different, you know, services, and it is like passive income, which is nice. You know, it just kind of sits yes. there, and uh, unless if it's like newsworthy images that are kind of pertinent or relevant, you know, it can be just like you said, cityscapes, nature scenes—it could be anything—and those are, for the most part, timeless, and they can be. Yep, absolutely. Mm-mm. Yeah, definitely.
0: And you never know, too, that one image—you know, like, I don't know—like a, like a, a, meteor passes through your landscape or something. You know, on a, you know, it may not happen, but you shoot so much, you know, there's a chance it could. And that on a stock site, that could that could go crazy. So, remember, absolutely. It's good that you're building that base now as well, so.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like recently we had that Lunar Eclipse that uh, was actually overnight, so that'd be like one such example maybe. Just kind of like a oh, sp- yeah. special event for it, yeah.
0: I was going to ask about the, the stock site. Do you like drag and drop everything into there, or do you look for like, like at least kind of like a general category of like images for stock?
2: Um, tend to I tend to curate stuff so I don't like, t- literally toss my entire catalog up there. Because, um, you know, a lot of times I'm like not going to be happy with that composition or something like that. So I'll, I'll just pull up the ones that I think are going to be relatively grilled with. Now I do know people that literally just drag their entire catalog and they pretty much almost back up their Lightroom library up into Adobe Stock.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, that's a good point, though, because a lot of people, I think, you know, because stock is kind of, like, varied, and you never know what people may be looking at buying, I guess. Like, so why not you know, upload a whole hundred different compositions of, like, the same subject, different focal lengths, different apertures, you know, just whatever, really, and just see what people like. And um, kind of like what you touched on there, Henry, is like it can matter as in, like, it could be years, but, like, someone may just come across an image and be like, that's perfect, that's the one I need. Um, but it's not going to be... You know, stock's not really going to be such an overnight success just because you you know dump your library or even create it
0: look to your portfolio and i've seen a good amount of that so you want to go into how that started there the drones
2: so it's i've actually only been flying it for probably six months now so not a lot of uh, stick time or air time depending on how you want to phrase it um now you know, some of the stuff on you know on Instagram and things like that. Some of that is other people's work, uh, again as you know, for the F five collaboration group. Uh, but most of my stuff has been more experimentation, just trying things different, trying a, a, a you know, different compositions. Um, so like for example, F five was that was my week last weekend and there was a cover bridge that I was able to take a picture of and I you know bought my camera, brought my tripod, got it all set up, took the picture and I'm like You know the 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 roadway leading up to the bridge was a little bit on a uh, incline, and it just wasn't happy with the composition. Um, Just couldn't really capture the subject the way I wanted to. So, pulled out the handy dandy little drone and put it up ten feet in the air, twelve feet in the air, not really that high. I was able to get some you know really really good composition with the covered bridge, or I was able to take it over to Walnut Woods and try to get a very unique composition, actually looking down. Uh, which was actually a pretty tricky one to catch because um, right there, it was literally right on the edge of the flight restriction zone for Rebecca Airport. Um, so you have to get clearance from DGI, you submit, you know, submit authorization for that because uh, you know, the rules are there for a reason, they're pretty strict, and you know those old DGI drones, they will not fly in an area are not supposed to. So getting that composition was a little tricky, just trying to literally find just the perfect spot. To still stay in a clear I and mean, stay a but yet actually able to get that really good composition, kind of looking again, looking down
1: directly down below. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Is, is there any like, like, how would you, because I've flown a drone for a little bit, little while now, about the same time as you, I think, but like, how do you like look for compositions? Do you just like take it up sometimes for a flight and just look for things? Or I mean, is there stuff that like the cover bridge that you're just like set on seeing from that perspective? Um, for me, it's a kind of combination of both. Um, Sometimes it's literally just
2: take it up and fly around and and see what you can look and see what you can find. Sometimes, you know, I have that, you know, specific composition in mind and I'm trying to find it and trying to find the the right angle to get that composition. So, again, you know, like the bridge, I mean, it just was happenstance. I happened to bring my drone with me um, because that was not going to be my original composition Uh, when I was trying to shoot. And, you know, I have a center column on my tripod. I had that sucker cranked up as high as I could get it and still just not the right composition so I'm like well you know what give it a shot and what's great about these lightweight portable drones I mean you can literally pack them in your camera bag and hike out there pretty much anywhere you want pop it up and go yeah it worked if it doesn't work you bring it back and you know you lost 15 minutes of your time it really wasn't uh, anything too crazy
1: right yeah it's not like a big investment necessarily but at least you got to fly it, and maybe see a good view from it too so photograph or not exactly yeah yeah do you ever like? Do you ever photograph cityscapes <laughs> with drones? So I've
2: actually done a few cityscapes with drones. Um, now the one problem is since I t- try to do most of my cityscape in low light conditions, um, I mean you have to run those usually low and slow. So you know, I'll be running at, you know, let's say f two point eight or f five or something like that. But I'm running at two to three seconds sometimes, exposure time and. Um, At least with the little tiny drone I have, the light sensor just isn't good enough to pick up those real little light bubble. Now, I think the more expensive drones are fantastic when it comes to that. So most of my drone
1: shots are more nature-focused,
2: just because of more available
1: light at that time. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like the higher-end models probably have better sensors and cameras in there, too. But, uh, yeah. What kind of model do you use? It's a uh, DJI Mini 2. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a, good, that's a good one to start out with. Yeah. And it literally is like packs in your bag. I mean, it's pocket size really and it. You know, you get that thing up in like a minute or two really. It's like,
2: Oh yeah. I mean, it's what 249 grams. I mean, they're really lightweight and battery life is reasonable. I mean, mm-hmm. 20, 25 minutes battery life. You, you can get up, get your shot, get it back.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No problem. Up and down. Yeah. Now I'm curious, this is a shot in the dark kind of question, but like, do you use video at all or do you share video?
2: Uh, so I haven't shared a lot of video, but I've been shooting some video. So, um, and so while I'll either use for social, uh, primarily like on reels or something like that, um, and there's a project I'm going to be working on again, more of a personal project, um, just to try to document some work that they're doing at a local football stadium, just trying something different. Again, toss it up, get a different perspective. As they're working with a place in the field, kind of do a shoot every single day, you know, it comes out.
0: Have you found any challenges kind of switching from video to photo? Not switching. Oh, yeah. Kind of adding that on.
2: Yeah, I I would say for me, it's probably more kind of engaging my brain, to think, more along the video sides versus photography. Because, again, photography, at least for me, you know, like long exposures, kind of slow things down. Or video, you're not slowing things down. It just is what it is. Uh, I mean, you can slow things down a little bit if you put down some ND filters, you know, kind of tie the aperture down a little bit, things like that. Um, but it's, you know, it is it is challenging for me to kind of switch over from uh, photos to video. Yeah, I, and mean, I think it's just a matter of experience. Yeah. Just need some more experience on it.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, perfectly understandable. It's like, there's a lot of variables like, I mean, exposure and composition that are pretty much go hand in hand, but it is like how do I convey in motion, you know, what's the scene in front of me? Because it's obviously different from a still photograph. Yeah. And if you're wanting to get that more cinematic feel,
2: you know, you got to get your frame rate to be, you know, what double of, or half of your um, exposure and, you know, getting that, you know, nailed in just right. You know, there's a lot more combinations that you have to think about. It.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now maybe switching into some of the gear you use besides the drone, like what kind of cameras and other kinds of gear do you use?
2: So I have a ancient, uh, and you know you guys might laugh at me about this one, but it is an ancient um, Canon EOS Rebel T3I. Hmm. This thing is old as dirt, uh, but it it just works. I mean, don't get me wrong. Love to have a nice R5 or, or a nice Fuji or something like that, but you know this one works, and it uh, works really great for me. And You know, I'm trying not to get into uh, gear syndrome too much, gear acquisition syndrome. Yes. Um, I, I have a um, you know fantastic uh, you know Tamron uh, seventeen fifty millimeter lens on here. You know it's f two point eight, so it can you know really get some nice depth of field in that one. Uh, and then my other go to lens is a uh, Canon eighty five millimeter prime, and that thing is incredible. That thing, the the sharpness on that one is just just perfect. <laughs> Ironically, most people use it for a portrait lens, but um, Sometimes I'll actually use it to kind of get that just that right level of almost zoom, for lack of a better phrase, because you know, you're going to shoot 85 millimeters. That's not a landscape lens. You're, you're, you're getting pretty close.
1: Yeah, it's definitely cropping tighter. Yeah, but those Rebel cameras are good, though. I mean, I started with a T3, and, like, I you know mirrorless is kind of the way to go nowadays, like you said, with, like, the R5s and stuff. But, I mean, those Rebel cameras are pretty awesome for what they are, and, you know, you can probably get one affordably nowadays yeah. still, too. Yeah, I mean, this thing has, you know, all the features that, you know, currently, again, I would
2: love to have, you know, a nice R5 or something like that, but, you know, this little little thing's a workforce. I got an extra battery grip on it, so I get, have two batteries on the sucker. Um, can shoot, not that I really shoot that much video, but, you know, can shoot 1080, so it's good enough for that. Um, and the other thing that I use a lot, and I've mentioned a few times, is my iPhone. You know, I got the iPhone 13 Pro, and it's, just the right amount of screen size, but it doesn't like feeling like I'm carrying a tablet around in my pocket. Um, the cameras are fantastic on that thing. And again, you can kind of get—I can get that thing in places where it can't get my my Canon. There's there's no way again I can shoot that mushroom or something like that from that down
1: low. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I find that HDR too. Like, it's it's tempting. You know, you take a photo with an iPhone that looks better straight out of the camera than a DSLR. Yeah. It's just that yeah. that auto AI stuff. Yeah.
2: yeah, and my biggest problem is trying to um, trying to get that HDR photo to pull in the Lightroom, right? Because, you know, it looks fantastic on your phone. You pull it in the Lightroom, you're like, where'd it go? <laughs> it's, not, it's not as good anymore.
0: Right, yeah. Uh-huh. And you, you start to see the noise, too, everything. Yeah, like
1: that. yeah. All the degradation of quality, probably, the nuances there, yeah. Do you edit those photos in, like, Lightroom on mobile, or do you, like, pull them up on your computer? Say, probably about...
2: 90% of the time I'm pulling it on my computer. And I have a an, an iMac 27-inch, um, so, you know, you got that nice 5K display, so I'll just airdrop it to my computer and pull it up. See right there, kind of do the edits. Um, I've dabbled a little bit with Lightroom uh, on the computer, but if I want to do really quick edits, and, you know, I'm not going to be too picky with masking and things like that, I just want to, like, you know, pull up the highlights or drop down the highlights or... With the shadows or blacks or something like that. I'll, I'll just do it right in the iPhone photo app and just edit it right in there. Just to do a really, really quick edit. You know, you might be able to get a little bit of a vignette if you want to to kinda do a little bit of and burning around the corners to kind of focus on the the middle of the image a little bit, kinda draw people's eyes in there. But most of my edits I'm doing either in Lightroom or in Photoshop on my computer.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how you keep things kinda like simple with workflow there. Yeah, I mean you're just basically doing like the basic adjustments and stuff like that. It's nothing that's too heavy handed at least, but have you ever tried lots of masking before? And like those kind of more intensive tools?
2: Yeah, if there's the right the right image that I'm really wanting to pull out the masking, I will. But for most part, at least for my for my taste and my style, I really don't do a lot of masking. Um now what I will do is depending on the, the photograph or the composition is I'll try to remove a lot of the distorting items. So there might be a lot of uh, distracting items in the picture. I'll actually try to remove some of those right. just to kind of, you know, kind of simplify the image a little bit. Um, and again, Photoshop has some fantastic
1: tools for that in Lightroom too. Both for them too. Mm-hmm. That's like the clone stamp tool, right?
2: Clone stamp tool or just the brush uh, or sometimes it'll I'll highlight the area and say content aware fill.
1: Right, right, yeah. Yeah, that,
0: that works mm-hmm. pretty well sometimes. I mean, it's it's definitely not guaranteed, but, you know, that, that can be super powerful.
2: Mm-hmm. It really is, it really is.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a smart
0: tool. <laughs> you can even, I've never, I've never done this myself, but you can even, like, you know, if you're maybe cut off a wing of a bird, you can just, you know, make a pixel, you know, drag oh. up your file, make a, like a blank pixels and then content-aware fill that. Seen people do that. Yep. I've never done it myself, but mm-hmm. pretty powerful for sure. Yeah, it's
2: amazing what the tools can do these days, and you can really stretch them pretty far.
0: So after you've you've edited an image, um, what's kind of what do you do next? Do you instantly post that to Instagram? Do you do you wait a while? Do you put it right on a stock site? Like kind of what's what's your post post editing workflow
2: there? So I would say what I'll typically do is. Again, it depends on what I'm trying to do. If I'm just trying to go out and just shoot some, you know, shoot some, shoot some pictures, do some editing, just to improve my skill sets or, or something like that, um, I'll I'll never post that to Instagram, never upload it to soft Photo because you know I'll be taking taking thirty pictures and then maybe like there's like one that I don't like,
1: um,
2: and then if I do like it, I'm like, hey, I want to pop that up on you know social whether it's Instagram or something or Twitter or, or that, um, I'll actually use the business console inside of Facebook, of all things. Um, it's Facebook Business Console, which connects up to Instagram. And then what I'll do is I'll upload it in there and then it'll tell me based on my followers and, and my content, when's the best time to post that picture to Instagram or post that reel or video to Instagram. And it'll say I'm the optimal time and sometimes it'll say, that would be really great tomorrow or it'll be great tonight at nine o'clock. And then just let the algorithm kind of go from there, and it'll post it, and I'll be happy.
0: Yeah, is that a wildly different time for, like, each post, or is that, like, kind of similar it's,
2: each time? Or? It's very similar, um, typically, at least for, for you know, kind of my tribe. It's right around 9 o'clock at night for me, uh, but it does depend on the day. So if I'll pull, pop it up on a Tuesday, it might give it a different time than if I would, say, Let's post that on a Friday.
0: Oh, yeah, I never knew about that. That's
1: super cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it would just, like, read the, maybe, like, the usage from, like, your followers on their apps, maybe, and then just go from there and kind of, like, create this average, I'm guessing, like, a median range of, like, okay, you're most active at 9 p.m. or something. Um, but I use that same business suite, and that, that's honestly a great tool, and it does help uh, kind of predict trends, I guess, so that way, you know, your photos and your posts get greater reach. So have you uh, dabbled in any kind of, like, wildlife photography or anything when you're out in nature? Um, uh, nothing wildlife more is probably because more of the,
2: the quality of the lens that I have, you know, I'm not going to have that really tall photo or, 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 long focal length lens. So, you know, since I'm typically walking around with my camera and I've got, you know, my 17 to 50, you know, unless I pretty much stumble across the deer, I'm not going to really uh, get anything like that. Now I do some, do some backyard photography for the little critters that are at their bird feeders and things like that. Uh, what I need to do is set up a little blind or something back there because shooting through a window just doesn't cut it. Yeah. Especially after the cat cat jumps up on the window and gets its paw prints on it and everything, so it's like, <laughs> nope, <laughs> not going to be posting that one. Right. It's cute,
1: but no. Makes the images probably a lot softer too, and it's maybe a little bit harder to focus. Maybe just the extra layer of glass that's quite literally in your yeah. way. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I totally understand that. But yeah, I mean, using a blind though is pretty great. I think. Have you used a blind, Henry? I know I have a few times in my backyard.
0: I tried. I just have terrible patience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I understand that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. But it's, it's worth trying out, you know, if that's something you ever want to get more into, I guess. But, you know, for what's Yeah, worth- even if it's just
2: even if it's just a simple blind, you know, just a, something really simple just to kind of shield me. And we could probably get, you know, because we got squirrels, we got a fair number of birds in the backyard, some chipmunks, rabbits, those kind of things, so
0: you have any, um, you know, maybe new genres or new kind of projects? You're, I know you mentioned that stadium project, but anything else you're kind of working on in the next couple months of your photography?
2: I would say probably the other thing is plan on doing some uh, pretty good hiking uh, through some of the other trails and, and parks that I haven't visited here in Columbus. So probably documenting some of those. Uh, my wife and I, we keep on talking about doing a trip as well. So depending on where we go for kind of a a trip either the summer or in the fall. Uh, looking forward to whatever that might be, so we can uh, I'll go out and take some pictures while I'm out doing wherever that might be at. Is any... Get
0: some fall color in
1: there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good, yeah. Is there any particular locations you're looking at?
2: Um, so I know California is on the list. Uh, Northern California is just
1: spectacular. It's just absolutely beautiful,
2: especially the further up the coast you get past San Francisco, get up a couple hours, just absolutely incredible. Um, we've talked about a couple of international locations, maybe we're a lot of those are still up in the air right now. Um, Smoky Mountains, fantastic national park. I think those are probably, yeah, you know, those are the, those are the short list items right now.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's great. If you if you want to try some wildlife at Smoky Mountains, uh, Hadluchi Valley, the elk come you know really close. You can still be safe and be on the road, but even with you know maybe even your eighty five millimeter, you can get some nice shots of the elk with the uh, fall color. Um, oh, nice! It's, it's pretty much a guarantee every night. So if you if you end up going there, um, you know, just send me a message. I can I can give you all the cool spots, and the details. Yeah, so.
1: oh, fantastic. So, no, appreciate that. That sounds great. You. So do you go to like locations like that with like an open book, like no agenda, or do you like thoroughly plan them out? Like I'm gonna hike these trails, or I'm gonna see this subject. Like, what's your process there?
2: For me, for the most part, it's a hey, I'm gonna go check out this park. I'm gonna bring my camera and see what I find. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, occasionally okay. I'll you know be on the park's website and I'm like, okay, well that looks like that would be a pretty nice composition. Um, things like that, but for me, it's just about exploring. Just kind of take the camera and, and run and see what uh, see what I happen to stumble upon.
1: Right. Yeah. Just like throw out the map, metaphorically speaking. But yeah, that's that's a good way to go about it. I think because it, like, if you look at too many images online of other people's, whether they're like professional or not, like it kind of distorts your view a little bit. And it's like it's nice to just kind of drop yourself in that setting, like a new unfamiliar place, and just see where it really takes you.
2: Yeah, and even just going, you know, even when you're in the city and walking around you know, I'll just like, hey, I'm going to go shoot some, you know, some sunrise pictures in Columbus in the morning. And I don't necessarily, I mean, I'll have some general occasions. Oh, I'll try it down by the river or I'll try it by the state house or something like that. But that's usually about the extent of it. Um, and then sometimes, you know, I mean, we were driving down to Cincinnati area the other day. And I mean, I wish I would have had my camera and I would have been thinking fast enough and pulled up my phone and nothing else. But you know those there was a couple of trees on those farm fields uh down on 71 and the way the fog and the mist was covering them like that would have just been the best composition. Uh, unfortunately again no camera. Um but you know just discovering those type of features that you wouldn't, you know, everyday like you just walk right by sometimes.
1: Right. Yeah, just the ever growing list of like compositions and maybe try out in the future even, you know, stuff to kind of work towards. Absolutely.
0: You think you'll ever go back to that location or
1: Oh
0: you know, like, absolutely. Do you ever go back to compositions you find? Yeah. Oh yeah. So
2: like there have been a couple of parks that I'll be to and I'm like, okay. You know what, this would be really fantastic and you know, in the morning or, you know, golden hour in the evening. So I'll try to work on that composition when I come back, um, and, and try to get that better shot. Uh, Walnut Woods, you know, it's a fantastic park area and there's some kind of like off the beaten path trails and, you know, we'll kind of discover it and go, oh yeah, I'm coming back tonight to try to get that, you know, to get that shot or I'll try to come back in a couple of weeks. Or, you know, like you said, you'll be like, okay, this place will be amazing in the fall.
1: That's great. Yeah. Cause it like, especially with staying local like that to your local parks, it like, it helps familiarize yourself with them throughout all the seasons too. And that way you can look at like a landscape scene in front of you and go like, that's going to look great in like peak fall color. And just different stuff like that.
2: Yeah, and I would even say, you know, sometimes, you know, people think, well, those are going to be amazing colors in the winter or these fantastic sunrises, you know, with all this color. You know, something I've dabbled in is, you know, kind of, again, kind of change that perspective and going more, you know, shooting, obviously, shooting color because it's DSLR, but shooting, you know, intentional for those pictures to be in black and white or in grayscale. You know, because sometimes doing that in the winter, you know, kind of has a very, has a different feeling to it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How often do you, like, convert those to black and white, would you say, for your photography?
2: I'd say 15%, 20%. Hmm.
1: it's a good amount. Yeah. Well Some people yeah, say explicitly. But... Good.
2: Yeah, and I've been, you know, kind of playing around with, you know, changing my workflow a little bit. I don't, I don't know if it's going to stick or not, but... You know, when I start editing a photo, you know, basically take those saturation sliders and drag them all the way to the left, and just basically turn that into a grayscale image. Mm-hmm. Work on the, you know, walk on the highlights, the, the the brightness, the, you know, kind of the blacks, and you know, kind of make that image really pop, and then bring back the color, one channel at a time. Yeah, that's interesting
1: way to go about it, actually. Yeah, I never really considered that.
2: And, you know, it doesn't work in every picture. Sometimes I'm like, nope, not going to do that again. Delete, start over.
1: (laughs) What what images do you find, like, are better suited for that?
2: I would say a lot of them are just a lot of contrast
1: between the subjects. um,
2: So that, you know, contrast between foreground and background, or sometimes when the background will have a a a distracting element in it that you kind of want to remove that element but not going so far as to take the clone stamp or to literally remove the element just to kind of de-emphasize that. So taking that bright green element that your eyes are going to kind of go straight to and just kind of toning that down, dropping the brightness of that Mm -hmm. to really kind of focus the viewer's attention on the subject that you're trying to
1: capture. Yeah. Yeah. No two images should be necessarily edited like the same way because each one kind of lends its strengths to different things you could try out when post-processing. Awesome. Yeah. So as we wrap up the episode here, Spencer, uh, I just want to ask one more question. Uh, how would you describe in a few words what photography means to you?
2: For me, it is almost an escape. So I'm a, I'd am like to call myself a recovering IT professional. So yeah, I work with technology every day and for me getting photography it's you know about going out getting some exercise getting some fresh air walking around and just doing something different doing something on that creative side of things because you know when you're doing things I mean, not that technology isn't creative it can't be creative but you know kind of working that side of my brain in, in a more methodical purposeful way
1: so that i can kind of you
2: know Get a different perspective on life. Get a different perspective on things.
1: Yeah, teaches you about yourself and about the world around you and all that stuff, too. So, yeah, that's awesome.
0: So, thanks for coming on tonight, Spencer. Um, Where are some of the best places for people to find you? um, So,
2: yeah, so there's a couple different places you can find me. So, one is on Instagram. So, it's uh, at uh, S-P-E-N-C-W-O-O-D, so Spence Wood. Um, You can also find me on Twitter as well. Uh, Or you can also uh, find me on my website at spencerthephotographer.com. Awesome. Thank you, Spencer It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity, gentlemen.